Well, I guess I owe you an apology. Um, people asked me this morning and uh, through the week, how are you doing? And I, I suppose I forgot to tell you by way of email, so uh, I offer my apologies. But uh, I'm, I'm doing better, uh, whatever happened to me last Sunday morning. Uh, by the evening, uh, was was pretty well resolved. Um, and I, I really don't know what it was. I was in my office around 7.30 preparing. I got extremely dizzy, and uh, I began praying about that, and I felt like I ought to maybe give Carrie a heads up. And uh, I came out here and walked around the auditorium two or three times, uh, praying over uh, my decision, and uh, realized that stumbling down the aisles and bumbling across the front was... Probably not a good thing uh, for your benefit, and um, as I thought about it, I just felt like the Lord was saying, go home, let someone else take care of it. So, my uh, thanks to Herb, who led the communion, pastoral prayer, and, and to Carrie, who's uh, on the winter snow retreat with the young people today, but Carrie uh, did a marvelous job preaching, I heard, had some interesting illustrations. Which only Carrie can pull off. I, I could never do it. But uh, at any rate, um, I'm better. And I thank you for your prayers. And, uh, you know, keep praying for me. The uh, last couple of months have been challenging. But i um, been praying about solutions and God's opening doors. And I'm starting to get hold of new insight. And uh, some of it's going to boil down to willpower. And, I'd appreciate some prayer along those lines, because uh, that's his stronghold, not mine. But at any rate, this morning I want to bring the message that I had uh, wanted to bring last week. And as I thought about it, I felt like rather than moving on, I, I'm going to go back and pick it up, because it's an important uh, message for us, and it really illustrates... The, the seamlessness of Scripture in saying the same thing in different ways. Uh, God, you know, you've heard the, the old uh, saying that the uh, three R's are the essence of education. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And uh, God has a way of doing that, but He has a way of keeping it interesting and coming at it from different angles and different approaches. And in the Psalms that we're going to be looking at, particularly this morning, Psalm 19 and Psalm 23, uh, it, it, is a, it is a poetic encapsulation of the message of God throughout Scripture. And uh, it presents to us the ways that God reveals Himself. And one of the things that I want to underscore at the beginning and I was thinking last night, if I ever wrote a book, uh, you know, I, I would want to tell the story of how God goes about wooing us and drawing us and, and how He works in our lives in different ways and, and uh, even the difficult and hard times uh, He uses to, to form us into His image. But I thought that the principal chapter would be, Oh, how he loves 
you and me. How much He loves us. Um, the, the devil has sold us a bill of goods in making us feel that God is an angry judge uh, wanting to squash us. That is not to deny that God is a holy God and that He does have a righteous anger and that those who persistently resist will eventually be judged severely. But the reality is that God spends our whole lives and all of human history seeking us out and wooing us back. And He reveals Himself in various ways. The Psalms that begin with Psalm 19 and go through 26 are all Messianic Psalms. They're a collection of Psalms about the Messiah. Some are more obviously so than others, but nonetheless, these Psalms all speak to us in some way or another about Jesus. And I thought about David and, and how God seemed to reveal uh, so many things to David. You know, the Scripture says in Hebrews that the writers of old longed to look into the things about which they wrote. But I, I wonder if David didn't have a better handle on it than most. Because as a, a young man, as a lad, and growing up and moving into his early kingship days, David spent a great deal of time cultivating a relationship with God. He had hours and hours that he could contemplate God and spend time with Him. And in that relationship that David developed with God, God shared his heart with David. And the Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. That there was a connection there. There was a kindred spirit there. Many of us look at these um, special people in the Bible like Abraham and like Moses uh, with whom God spoke as a man speaks to his friend. And Abraham who followed God uh, not knowing where he went. And God spoke to him and led him. And, and here's David who has this intimate relationship with God. And we think, wow, you know, it's kind of neat if you're one of those chosen few. But the reality is, is that God is willing to develop that kind of intimacy with any of us who are willing to give Him the time. Building relationships takes time. And if you want an intimate relationship with God, you have to spend time with Him. And it's not that God shows favoritism. Well, I think I, I, think I like David. I'll just tell David all kinds of things. But David was one who contemplated the glory of God and spent a lot of time in his presence. And as a result of that, God gave to David a great deal of insight. So, for example, if you look at these uh, psalms that I've uh, kind of highlighted, and you look at Psalm 22, for example, there is a picture in the Old Testament written hundreds and hundreds of years before the Roman Empire. 
and before crucifixion as an instrument of capital punishment. And David describes the experience of Christ on the cross with incredible accuracy. Physicians who have studied the crucifixion and and written about what Jesus experienced cannot find a better explanation than Psalm 22 to describe the agony and the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross along with all of the uh, opposition and with all of the emotional content as well. And then we go two psalms forward to Psalm 24, and we have this beautiful image of the resurrection and of Jesus uh, ascending and entering into the glories of heaven and returning to His heavenly throne. And who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. As Jesus... uh, wins the battle over Satan and triumphs and moves back into the glory and uh, the, the fellowship with His Father that He had before the Incarnation. And nestled in the middle of those two images, the, the cross and the resurrected glory, is the 23rd Psalm. Probably the best known and most loved passage in all of Scripture. If you were to, you know, do a worldwide survey, there would be those who would not place much credit on the New Testament. You would say, well, John 3.16's got to be up there among them. But uh, if you're Jewish, John 3.16 is not going to hold a lot of weight with you. But Psalm 23 is precious to believers, to to, to Christ's followers. It's precious to... uh, Jews who are committed and, and um, of, uh, the word I'm looking for is escaping me, but um, the solid uh, Orthodox Jews. And it's also precious to the modern Jews. It's a part of their worship in, in every circumstance. The 23rd Psalm is one of the most loved passages and best known passages of Scripture. It's probably read at just about every funeral. It's just one of those psalms that people take comfort from. And what is it about? It is about the great God of glory being my shepherd. Caring for me like a shepherd. Nurturing me and watching over me. And who better to write about the shepherd-like character of the Lord than David? You know, David, when he went up against Goliath and uh, they wanted him to wear all this crazy armor that just, (laughs) poor guy could barely move. And he just got rid of all of it. And, uh, you know, they were aghast that he would go out and face Goliath without uh, anything but a sling. And he said, look, bears have come after my sheep and lions. And I took him on in hand-to-hand combat. I mean, here is a guy that was willing to give his life for the sheep because of his sense of responsibility and his care. Uh, He let nothing 
touch his sheep. He protected them with all that he had. And he was triumphant. And he was pretty good with a sling, too. And he's the one that writes to us about the Lord is my shepherd. So we have these beautiful illustrations of God and of Jesus Christ in the Messianic Psalms speaking to us of His glory and His majesty and His affection. And so in Psalm 19, and I want to point out this morning that as we look at Psalm 19 and Psalm 23, we have in these three Psalms the three principal means of God's revelation of Himself to us. He speaks to us in three different ways so that there can be no misunderstanding or mistaking His character. And so as Psalm 19 begins, David, the guy that spent a lot of time out in the wilderness and out in nature, says, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. He says, every time I look around, I see God. Do you see God when you look around? I mean, consciously see God. Do you say to yourself as you contemplate the things of nature, whether it's a walk in the woods along the path, whether it's the snow falling, whether it's the clear night sky and looking at the heavens and the constellations, or in my case, I love looking through the microscope and seeing the other side of the world, you know, that unseen, hidden micro side of creation. And when you look at all of that, are you consciously aware of the glory of God? Of His majesty, of His presence? You're watching a television show the other evening and the, uh, in one of the scenes, uh, a poet was uh, playing off of uh, a, um, a physicist in writing a poem, and he talked about how the flowers uh, developed colors, evolved colors that attracted the eyesight of insects uh, specifically to them in order to pollinate. The reality is, in fact, there are colors in flowers that we don't even see because they're ultraviolet or they're infrared. And insects can discern them. They see them. And certain insects are attracted to certain kinds of flowers. I was uh, going through the uh, orchidarium at uh, the Shelby Botanic Gardens in Sarasota one time, and there was this particular orchid that had this amazing uh, uh, kind of uh, aroma. But you could only smell it at night. Because the kind of insect that it needed to attract in order to pollinate was nocturnal. And so the coloration and the aroma only developed at night to draw the insect, you know? And the, the bottom line of the poet 
and physicists was that these had evolved together in order to move forward. Wait a minute. Have, have we had any training in logic? Do you know, first of all, the infinitesimal odds of evolution ever occurring are beyond comprehension. But do you know what it would take for a specific flower to evolve at precisely the same moment in evolution as a specific insect? Do you know what the odds of that are? And for either one of them to survive long enough to discover each other. Good grief. Where are people's heads? That's why the Scripture says in Romans 1, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature and creation rather than the Creator. Because they spend all this time trying to figure out what if they had eyes to see would be so obvious. The colors are amazing. The, the, the symbiosis is remarkable. The, the harmony of nature is incredible, even though it's fallen at the moment. It's still amazing. And to think that it could have happened without rhyme or reason is beyond ludicrous. The heavens declare the glory of God. It, later on, he says, the earth shows his handiwork. Everything about this world around us speaks to us about the glory of God. In fact, if you turn to Romans... Chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. What can you know about nature? What can you learn about God from nature? For those who have eyes to see what is discernible. Verse 18 of Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. That means they sit on it. They hold it down. It's begging for recognition and they push it down in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them how can we say that with confidence? Because God made it evident to them. Every single person knows in their heart what is right and what is wrong. Oh, we rationalize and we put distance between ourselves and the truth. And yes, different cultures have different weaknesses and hang-ups and they have thrust aside the, the holiness and purity of God. But down at the bottom... There is an awareness of right and wrong, a moral compass that every human being has because God put it in their lives. And here's what he says. For since the creation of the world, this is what we can learn from nature. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so they're without excuse. If you didn't have the Bible and you knew nothing about Jesus, and there was humility of heart and a willingness not to suppress the truth, unfortunately the sin nature gets in the way there, but if there was an openness to truth, it would tell us about God's invisible attributes. His his ever-present reality. His omnipotence. His all-knowing omniscience. His righteousness. His holiness. All the things that speak to us of His nature. His invisible attributes. His eternal power. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ holds all things together by the word of His power. You know, toward the end of time it says that the elements will melt with fervent heat. The, the world as we know it will disappear in that moment of judgment. Men will look to rocks and hills and mountains to fall on them and hide them. And they will flee away and there will be nothing to hide uh, their shame, and they will be exposed before Almighty God. You know, all it takes for the whole universe to fly apart is for Jesus Christ to take His hands off. Because He holds it all together by the word of His power. And the divine nature of God is clearly seen. Even, Paul is writing here, even in a fallen world the clear remnant of the Creator, just as every human being has within him or herself the stamp of the divine image, there is an awareness of God throughout the universe. Cannot escape it. And so, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Now, it looks like a contradiction because he says, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their line is gone throughout all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. Well, how does that happen if there's no speech or words? Because all of creation witnesses to our mind and our heart without ever uttering a verbal statement that God is present. All the universe witnesses by its very existence to the presence of the eternal God. And those of us who are attuned to Him can see Him. I I have a God-conscious awareness as I contemplate the world around me and I see His beauty and His glory. And and I'm not just doing preacher talk when I say this. I see God everywhere. I see Him everywhere. Because it all speaks to me of His glory. 
And the more I study and the more I understand, unlike the physicists who uh, ruled God out of his universe, the more I get it, the more I understand him. The more it speaks to me of his glory. The more of his nature and wisdom I see. It is amazing. I've said it before. Not that I'm a mathematician by any means, but I'll say it again. We talk about heart language. I think God does have a heart language. Maybe one day we'll understand it all. Um, And I think his heart language is math. That's kind of an interesting (laughs) look if you haven't thought about it. But you can... You can ultimately speak the language of the universe in mathematical terms. It's absolutely amazing. And when you see the similarity of, of things that appear disparate on the surface, they, they look like they don't go together, all of a sudden you see the connection and the similarity. And all that says to me is there's one great designer. who's not afraid to use his master blueprint in more than one application because he is amazing. Suddenly, in verse 7 of Psalm 19, the whole focus changes. David leaves behind the glories of nature and he suddenly talks about the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? (laughs) Acquit me of hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I will be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's a beautiful song, chorus, that goes with this latter part of Psalm 19. But suddenly, David changes his focus to the law. And and, and the, the, the Hebrews, of course, all of this wasn't final by the time David was writing, there was more to come. He kind of fits in the middle of the written period, but the law of Moses, the Torah, the writings, and the prophets all speak about the nature of God in specific words we can understand. God gives us His law to reveal His character. We know from the New Testament that God never expected the Israelites to keep the law. You realize in the same book, wherein the law is given, there is also given the means and method of sacrifice and atonement. 
to be done yearly and to be done again and again by the Israelites who felt they had sinned. Because God knew that they would never be able to keep His statutes, and yet His statutes are perfect. The Ten Commandments are righteous altogether. They reveal His nature and His character. And while they are there to point out our sin, they are also there to demonstrate to us the character and the glory of God as He reveals the fact that He is a covenant-keeping God. He's not a liar. He's not a thief. He's not a murderer. He is a God uh, who keeps His promises. And throughout all of the Old Testament, His character is revealed again and again. And David says, when I meditate upon your law and I consider it and contemplate it, Psalm 119, when you get there, uh, it's, a, by the way, a Hebrew acrostic. There's 22 sections of eight verses each, all of which begin with the same Hebrew letter, and then they move on to the next one. And all of those uh, reveal to us David's reverence and respect for the law as it reveals to him the, the nature and the character of God. And when we preach the Gospel to people, we must first of all acquaint them with the character of God and His holiness in order to understand their need of a Savior. Because you and I can't keep it either. However, the power of the Holy Spirit living within us can keep His statutes through us by His mighty presence. He gives us freedom and a way out. But God reveals Himself in His written Word. And we have that testimony in our 39 books of the Bible. 66 books of the Bible. 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. You knew that, didn't you? Glad you can gloss over my errors. But as we read all of Scripture, it testifies to the glory of God and His nature, and His character, and His wisdom. And it makes wise the simple, and brings us to the understanding of salvation. This is the second way in which God reveals Himself. God has revealed Himself in nature. But not leaving that by itself, He has come to us, and to the writers of Scripture, and revealed to them His character and nature through the Word so that they have written what He has revealed and left for us a record that speaks to us of, of the very essence of His nature so that we can understand it more clearly even. And so the two together witness to the glory of God. But Finally, if you look at Psalm 23, we have here a beautiful poem that tells us about the great shepherd. There would be a tendency for us to look at the sublime 
majesty of nature and the unattainable reality of His Word in our strength and to say to us, to ourselves, I can never attain to God. He is far beyond me. I can never reach out to Him. His holiness does not allow me to enter His presence. And His glory and majesty are so awesome that I cannot fathom being close to His person. And then David says, This great God is my shepherd. And I have nothing that I could possibly need that He does not supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I could risk going into an exposition of the 23rd Psalm, but I'll uh, resist that this morning. But the shepherd leads his sheep to a place of green pasture where there is ample provision and the refreshing grass. If you're a sheep, that looks good. And he leads them beside quiet waters. I'm not a shepherd. I don't know this firsthand, but I have read and been uh, had explained to me that sheep are timid and rushing water um, causes them to fear. They're afraid to get too close to it. So how do you drink out of a bubbling, rushing stream? Well, if the shepherd throws some rocks across it somewhere and piles in some debris and dams it up, a pool forms that is quiet. So the sheep can partake of the water without fear. And then he makes them to lie down and he restores their soul. Our great shepherd knows just what we need to refresh us. Oh, friend, if you're weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, come to me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and there you will find rest for your soul. Come to me. I'm the fountain of living water. Come to me. I'm the bread of life. I will meet you and restore you and refresh you. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Aren't you glad that in the awareness of the holiness of God, which is awesome indeed, our great Shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness that we might walk in harmonious fellowship with God. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? But... Through the cross and through redemption and through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in harmony with the Holy God because He leads us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. 
Again, I'm told that the rod is the instrument the shepherd uses to beat off the predators. The wolf shows up and the rod is wielded. But the sheep get off the path and the shepherd's crook reaches under their front legs and pulls them back to safety, even when they're out of his natural reach. And they're a comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You know, to me, that means, well, kind of the last thing you'd want to do when you're in a firefight is sit down and have a meal. Let's pitch the table and put out dinner. Never mind that the mortars are incoming and automatic weapons are flooding the night and they're all coming in my direction. I think we'll just have dinner. What that says to me is that our God can give us peace in the firestorm. He can give us refreshment even in the battle. And our enemies cannot touch us when we are in His presence. He anoints our head with oil. You know, every evening as the shepherd would take his sheep to the sheep pen that had been created by a number of shepherds pasturing flock in the same region, there was a doorway. The shepherd, by the way, said a shepherd took turns sitting in the doorway guarding the flocks while others rested. But the sheep would come in through the doorway and the shepherd would inspect his own sheep. And if they had been wounded or injured during the day or scratched or whatever, he would pour on the soothing oil that would heal and soften and prepare the skin for the best healing. You know, he inspects us not to find fault, but to fix fault. He inspects us to soothe the hurts and to bind up the brokenhearted. David says, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says this to us. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. This God of creation, this God of holiness and righteousness, this great shepherd of the sheep is our Lord Jesus Christ in every instance. Through Him the worlds were made. He is the one that sustains the universe. He is the one who has walked the path of righteousness for us. He who in every way kept the law 
so that He might go to the cross on our behalf and, and give His life a ransom for many. And that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us and through us as we walk by the Spirit and not according to our own efforts and strength. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 is where that comes from. And so we have the third way of revelation. Jesus says to His disciples, If you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. God reveals Himself in nature. He reveals Himself in the written Word. And then He sends us His Son, whom to see, to walk with, to experience. And we do that through the biographies of the Gospels as they explain to us the nature of Jesus as He walked among them. If you've seen Me, you've seen God. So God has spoken to us in three clear witnesses. Nature, the Word, and Jesus. And in all of these ways, they witness to a seamless consistency of a glorious God who has pursued us with an everlasting love. He has gone to the nth degree to give us a way back to Him. So much does He love us. Friends, this morning, don't let the devil steal your joy seeing, making you see God as distant and austere and angry and ready to beat you down and beyond your reach. He is your shepherd. And Jesus models that for us so clearly. And He is still our shepherd. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Dewey, would you come lead us, please?